Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 118 of Locked On Canadians. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and I am one of your co-hosts, Laura Saba, also known as The Active Stick. My wonderful co-host, Scrub Mantles, is off tonight, so I asked a special guest to join me to talk about the game that did not actually happen and the two teams involved. Sarah Avamparo of Locked On LA Kings and also Locked On NHL joined me for a conversation about what happened to our teams this season, Ilya Kovalchuk, and most importantly, the small goals boy himself, Cole Caulfield, who we found out is going back to the NCAA for another year instead of going pro and joining the Canadians or the Laval Rocket. That's in our final segment of today's episode. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about the season that was and the players that were on these teams. Here's my conversation with Sarah. Our initial idea was to get together and recap the game, which has now been postponed and most likely canceled. And I want to say that both teams kind of disappointed, not kind of, absolutely disappointed this year what's it like in LA? Like what's the perspective in LA like? You know, I think that it it depends on who you ask because at the beginning of the year over at Jewels from the Crown, we did kind of a round table among all of our writers for like, what do you think is going to happen this season? And it was kind of an even split between people. um, And I will say that I was one of them who were like, yeah, this team is going to be last or maybe next to last in the Pacific, which is where they're at, you know, right about now. Um, And then kind of the other half of people were like, Maybe this will be a bubble team, which is not even close. Now, if they had played the way they're playing now all year long, they probably could have been a bubble team, especially in the super weird Pacific division where, like, no, it's just a mess. Um, but <laughs> it, so they somehow managed to, like, overachieve and underachieve at the same time, depending on what part of the year you're looking at or who you're asking. Um, but. <laughs> They they ended, presuming that there is no more hockey for them this season, they ended on a real strong note with that seven-game winning streak and some of the young guys kind of starting to step up and show that they deserve spots on the team for the future. So there is some light at the end of the tunnel, but, man, it was a really painful journey to get there. Well, that was the thing with the, with the Canadians is that I think the the difference between, you know, the L.A. predictions where you're saying, OK, they're going to be like way at the bottom or they might be a bubble team. I think everybody in the Montreal fandom expected to be a expected them to be a bubble team. Nobody thought they were going to come out and win the Stanley Cup. I don't think that that was on anybody's mind. But people thought that we were going to see an improvement upon last year. And last year they barely missed the playoffs. They were expected to be so bad that like even them challenging in the last week of the season was, was a huge overachievement. And people thought, you know, with the players, with, with some additions, with, um, if, if players like Jonathan Druen could have a research, not a resurgence, I would say a breakout year, uh, somebody like Max Domi having a year like he did last year, Thomas Tatar having a year like he did last year. There were a lot of, uh, predictions that said that they would probably make the playoffs, they're probably in a wild card spot. Like they would be sort of like a middle seed, not necessarily like a higher seeded team. And so by that measure, this is an absolute uh, disappointment because the Canadians at the moment, I believe are out of, or they finished the year uh, 
eight points out of a playoff spot. Like it's, it's a pretty big deal. You know, it's ground that they would not have been able to make up in, in the last 12 games of the season. And I think that was the problem was there were, there were two eight game losing streaks and they also got swept by the worst team in the NHL and a team that is going to be the worst team in the NHL. Like, you know, if you, if you, if you take like all the worst teams of the last few years, like this is going <laughs> to run away with the title. Right. And so if the Canadians, oh. like if they had won those four games, like if they had beat Detroit, like they, they, they were supposed to, they would be in a playoff spot. Like they're literally like out, you know, eight teams out of a playoff, eight points out of a playoff spot. So I think the problem is that this team was sort of a bubble team to begin with and could not afford any missteps or major injuries. Like this is not, you know, it's not. Injuries are not unique to the Canadians, and that's something that was blamed a lot for the season. And I think Mark Bergevin in his end of season press conference is going to blame the, the, um, the injuries. But the fact that they weren't able to overcome those injuries while other teams have been able to, I think that says a lot about the position of the team. Yeah. The, the Detroit thing was from an outsider perspective kind of comical but also kind of sad um and you know i the, the kings you know they're a team that you know if you asked me at the beginning of the season i i like i said i would not have said that they are going to make the playoffs and so you know the best that you can hope from them especially thinking about some of their rivals in their division uh is that they somehow managed to spoil things for someone else like i was really looking forward to like I don't know, Calgary missing the playoffs by two points or something. And it was because the Kings beat them or whatever. Um, so Detroit, I guess, kind of took that role with <laughs> Montreal of the like, we're going to ruin them. And this will be our one highlight of the season is. You know, and they the, did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, at, at the end of the season, Detroit had won what, like 15 games or something, 16 games. And. Like that's, that's an astounding <laughs> statistic and it, it hurts, but also like I chuckle a little bit at it. <laughs> this is the thing, like you're so diplomatic because you said it's somewhat comical and you said you chuckle a little, like everyone else is out there like pointing and laughing out loud. And so like, I appreciate your restraint while you're on the podcast. It is funny if it's happening to somebody else, <laughs> but yeah, well, the thing is like, I don't know if they've gotten to 16 wins. I do remember we had a mailbag episode where one of our questions, one of the, one of our listeners asked a question saying, you know, uh, if Detroit gets to 15 wins and I was like, they're not at 15 wins or something like that. And I was like, what? Do they know how right? many games yeah. there are in this season? It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, ju I just looked it up. They finished the the season presumably with 17 wins, 49 losses, and five overtime losses. 39 points total. Uh, their wow. goal differential. The goal the goal differential. Just because I think this is like freaking hilarious. Their goal differential is minus 122. Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> I love yeah, it. The uh, the next, it's not letting me sort it by the, the, the right numbers, but like that obviously is the absolute worst. Um, Ottawa is minus 52 and they are the next worst. So that is <laughs> double, more than double. Uh, yeah. I'm bad at math, but it that is, is definitely a very more big... than double. <laughs> <laughs> like the Kings are a team that have always been known as a team who can't score, which is half of their problems. 
their goal differential is minus 34, which is practically respectable considering <laughs> well, some of those I mean, other numbers. <laughs> yeah, I, and that's absolutely like I love when people point to things like goal differential because it'll be something like I, I haven't seen. I don't think I remember seeing something as bad as Detroit's. But it'll, it'll like, it'll be like this team that's a good team is like better than like this bubble team and the bubble team will have like a plus three goal differential and then like it'll be like Tampa or Washington and it'll be like plus 190 or something ridiculous. <laughs> I love that. And it's like, yeah, and these teams are supposed to compete in a playoff round. Good luck. <laughs> exactly. I think like we should actually, uh, this is a, a good opportunity to talk about Ilya Kovalchuk because I was about to talk about scoring by committee, but I feel like we can relegate that to the next segment when we discuss Ilya Kovalchuk and more on scoring. So in our first segment, we were talking about what went wrong with our respective teams. And I think it's probably a good idea to kind of talk about something that both teams have in common, and that is the the brief stint Ilya Kovalchuk had with both of them. And I feel like the Kings fans were as frustrated by Kovalchuk as Canadians fans were delighted by him, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was, it was like watching two different players from watching his time on the Kings to watching his time on the Canadians. And it just, it, it baffles me. I, I truly, truly don't understand what happened. <laughs> context matters a lot. And sometimes context is simply like, a line mate that they really click with or a coach that they really click with or a specific system that they're either used to playing or that they don't even know is going to bring out the best in them. I think the thing with Kovalchuk is he really, there were two things. He really wanted to prove himself because you knew that he signed with a team after being bought out so that they can like, so that he could prove himself and earn another contract. And so I feel like the desire was sort of the desire to prove that maybe like he was going to put in a little bit more work than he would have, than he probably would have done in LA. Like, cause the Montreal Canadians weren't like a team that he just like jumped in and they were ready for him. He really tried a lot to work really hard to, to, to basically score all the goals. Like when he first, when he first, um, <laughs> When he first signed, the Canadians were in the midst of an eight-game losing streak, and all the goals were coming from him. So, you know, that 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 few weeks stretch, like, it really was all him, and you could see he was being played up and down the lineup. He was playing defense at one point. <laughs> Not, like, as in, like, as a defenseman, but he was playing, like, defensive minutes. <laughs> yeah, I just, it, it was, I, the weird thing in L.A. is that it really feels like one of those signings that the GM made without really consulting the coach or anybody. Um, I think <laughs> that, you know, and, and at the time, like, you know, you could object to the term, you could object to the amount of money that he was being paid. Like both of those were bad ideas. Um, but the Kings organization truly felt that after they got swept out of the playoffs against Vegas, but all of the games were like one nothing, two one, three two games. They weren't, um, they weren't getting blown out on. So it wasn't a defense problem. It wasn't a goaltending problem. It's just no one could score. And so Rob Blake saw, here's an opportunity. Here's a guy who's looking for a chance to prove himself. You know, our problem in the playoffs was that we couldn't score goals. Here's a guy who scores goals. Let's give him a contract. And then three different coaches, John Stevens, Willie Desjardins, and now 
uh, Todd McClellan couldn't get anything out of him. Um, he, he was kind of a point per game player under John Stevens in the handful of games that, um, Stevens got to coach before he got the boot. Um, and then everything fell apart under Willie DeJardin. And, you know, that made sense because he wasn't a good coach for this team. He wasn't a good fit for the team. He was just kind of the warm body there to ride out last season. And so this season, everyone was like, well, we have a new coach. Regardless of your feelings on Todd McClellan, you know that he is a competent coach. Uh, and everyone was like, all right, let's see. Maybe this fixes it. And it didn't fix it. And even Todd McClellan was like, yeah, no, this isn't going to work. Um, and, you know, it, it seemed like a lot of it was he just didn't he, – he wanted to kind of get to do whatever he wanted. And Todd McClellan right now is trying to rebuild a team and – instill a system and make sure that everyone's on the same page and that there's no one like freelancing essentially to go do whatever they want. So, you know, clearly there was kind of a clash there because if Todd McClellan wants you to be at this point on the ice and you're not there, like he's going to be very disappointed with you. Um, I, it, one of the times where I was out in LA, I would, you know, I always stop by to watch the Kings practice and watching McClellan on the ice was fascinating because he, he is one of the most active coaches that I have seen out there on the ice with his players, you know, doing the drills and physically like getting in there with them. And he would do drills. And if you weren't on the ice where he wanted you to be for whatever point he was trying to make, like he like went over and kind of like pushed you until you were standing where you were supposed to be. So you could see like visualize like this is where I'm supposed to be. This is why I'm supposed to be there. Like, and if you have a guy who's not going to buy into that, um, then he's not going to be successful there. And so I think it was only a matter of time until he got bought out and also only a matter of time until um, another team picked him up because kind of like you said, like, he clearly like was not happy with the way things ended. And, you know, when I watched him in King's practices, he was always the, he was always a hard worker. He was always like super happy to be there, you know, in the games where he was a healthy scratch. Like anytime I saw him, he was always like one of the last guys out on the ice. He'd be working with the younger players, like helping show them, like give them tips on their shot or whatever. Uh, so it, it wasn't like a lot of people tried to make it out to be some kind of like, he wasn't good like as a person in the room or he wasn't good with his teammates or no one wanted to play with him. Um, I think that he just, they, there just was no fit for him on this team um, in a way that suited both him and, and the team itself. So it was, it was really interesting to watch him, you know, cause it's not like he got to play without a structure in Montreal. It's not like the Canadians were like, all right, go do whatever you want. Have fun. Like just score some goals. Um, but so kind of like you said, like it seemed like he knew that was his last chance and maybe he had to kind of change his outlook or start playing more uh, the way that he was expected to play uh, just to prove that he belonged there and that he, you know, could then get traded somewhere that had a chance at the Stanley Cup, uh, which may or may not happen now. <laughs> And I, I will be really excited if he does win, honestly, like partly because I don't hate the Caps and, uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to have to find a bandwagon at some point because the Canadians are um, all but eliminated. We don't even know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to assume they're eliminated. <laughs> the thing, like, as you were talking, I was just sort of thinking that Todd McLellan might be a really good coach for the Montreal Canadiens because the, the Claude, Claude Julien system is a really good offensive system. If you look at the underlying numbers, they are generating chances and shots and things like that. 
one of the things that has been a major complaint this this season has been that um, they can't finish. You know, the only guy with finish was injured for most of it. It's not it's <laughs> not it's not specifically just him. You know, like we we do have Thomas Tatar on this team. There there are reasons to be hopeful in general, but as a, as a whole, they do have trouble finishing. But they also have trouble on the back end. So when you were talking about like Todd McClellan physically, like you know, nudging you until you were standing in the right place. One of the biggest weaknesses on the Canadians team is that especially on the penalty kill or in their own end, they sometimes seem like they have no idea where to be. And sometimes you look at it and you're like, this is hockey fundamentals. How hard must it be? And so <laughs> I, I feel like if, if like they had somebody who was like shoving them around so that they could visualize it better, it would probably be a better idea. But with regard to Ilya Kovalchuk, like that, like I'm gonna be so happy if he ends up going far with with Washington and if he wins the cup. Like I'm I'm gonna be so excited for him. But there's also rumors that the Canadians might bring him back for another season at a reasonable term. I think he'll come back if he wins the cup because he, sorry, if he doesn't win the cup because the Caps are probably not gonna be able to fit him under their cap. There aren't a lot of teams that are close to making the Stanley Cup that have cap space. The Canadians do have cap space, and he seemed to really like it here. So I'm really hoping he comes back and at the very least, you know, uh, gives us some fun. But I'm sure that if he wins the Cup, he's going to be like, eh, I don't need to play. I'm fine now, you know. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm going tired. back home. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm tired. I'm going home. Uh, but, yeah, so so one of the, like, I think a thing that you were talking about as well, like, in the previous segment, was about all the younger players that are being brought up and sort of like we're hoping that they make the next step. And we kind of have a similar situation in Montreal. And I think the biggest issue with Montreal is that we don't have a game-breaking player. Like we don't have somebody on the talent level of Andre Kopitar, who is a veteran at this point, but like he is phenomenal, right? Like there's no question. And we have good players, we've got exciting players, but we don't have anybody that's like, that's that good other than than Carey Price who is also aging and has had an inconsistent year. Yeah, and I think the the Kings the trouble for them is that because they traded away so many things and you know, for good reason because it brought them to Stanley Cups, but that's sort of like bridge generation of players who should be the young guys now who are you know, your next Anja Kopitar, they don't have them. They're gone. They they didn't exist because all of those first round draft picks and all of those kind of, you know, prospects got traded away. And many of those prospects kind of fortunately haven't really panned out for the teams that acquired them. So, you know, it's not like they did trade away Anja Kopitar 2.0, but (laughs) that's been part of their struggle is that they haven't had the kind of interim class of guys um, or it was guys like Tanner Pearson and Tyler Toffoli who were sort of expected to kind of bridge that gap who now neither of them are on the team anymore because they had, they got traded um, partially because they also couldn't score and because they just needed to shake things up and make room for now some of these younger players coming in. And I think that they have, they have guys now who are coming up in the system who I don't think are ready yet to go to the NHL, but guys in juniors like Arthur Kaliev, who just is a goal scoring machine, you know, could be someone who would be a real difference maker for the Kings, but he's still a couple years away at the very least. Um, most of the guys kind of in the AHL are guys who will be good, like second, third liners probably, but 
you know, not going to be taking over, you know, team star duties. You know, Anja Kopitar is, you know, in his 30s now. He's still the leading scorer on the team. He's still easily the best player out there um, on the ice for them. Uh, but one kind of real bright spot for the Kings this year has been uh, the play of Gabe Velarde, who basically hadn't played pro hockey or any kind of hockey in about two years because of dealing with a back, uh, a back problem. And he finally got it rehabbed and to the point where he could play and got sent to the AHL, uh, just looked, you know, sometimes he looked kind of meh, but you're like, okay, this kid hasn't played in two years, whatever. And then sometimes he was easily the best player on the rain. And so he got caught up to the Kings and of course scored his first NHL goal on his first shot on his first shift, like 10 seconds into his first shift. And he has been, you know, really good. And I think as someone who can kind of be in that same sort of Kopitar kind of mold as a, you know, defensively responsible two-way center and all that stuff. So there are some bright spots on the horizon, um, especially if the Kings continue to be kind of crummy and draft well, that there will be more of them to come uh, in this coming draft. But uh, yeah, I think that's still kind of a place of trouble for them of, you know, they don't have necessarily the next Drew Doughty yet. They don't have uh, the next Anshu Kopitar. They're for once set in goal. Uh, they have a wealth of goalie prospects for the first time in ever. Uh, but you know, looking for that game breaker, I think is still, um, it, it's still a little bit of a gamble because the guys who we're counting on, you know, you never know what's going to happen with a prospect when they turn pro, if they're going to be good at all. <laughs> Sometimes they, they can't make it work. So that'll be interesting to watch over the next uh, handful of years. Speaking of good prospects that turn pro, we had some news about Cole Caulfield earlier or yesterday, I should say. And we talked about it in the intro to the show. But when we come back, we are going to spend our final segment talking about happy, happy things, including the small gold boy. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Canadians is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Habs fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Canadians fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So before we started recording, I found out that Sarah went to see the small goals boy in person. So we thought in order to talk about some happy, happy things, especially at this time when we want to be your kind of your escape from the realities of the world. We wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some good Wisconsin boys who are going to end up on our respective teams. So I, I'm going to start by asking you. 
Is Cole Caulfield the best Smuggles boy ever? Yes, of course he is. <laughs> but I mean, like, we're huge fans. So he decided to stay in the NCAA uh, next year. So I don't know if that, if that has anything to do with just um, maybe he had a conversation with the Habs and he knew that he was going to have to play in the AHL and maybe he'd rather be in university. I'm not entirely sure what happened there, but he's made that decision. Um, and I, I honestly, like, I thought either way would be okay for him, like, if he stayed there, because he was the leading scorer on apparently a terrible team. Not that I know that much about Wisconsin, but luckily, you know a lot more about them than I do. Yeah, so Wisconsin was bad this year. They finished at the very bottom of the Big Ten, their conference, uh, and they just were completely inconsistent the whole season. Uh, and I think that part of the issue was that they are a very young team. Uh, they have a lot of freshmen uh, and sophomores on their team. And so there were a lot of discipline issues. I think they took a lot of penalties they didn't need to take. Uh, and so, you know, killing penalties with a, with a, um, young inexperienced team is also tough uh and so i think the coach was just like they were just overmatched uh when they were playing you know teams like Notre Dame teams who are a lot older who are bringing back more upperclassmen each year um and so they they just had a real struggle of a season but Cole Caulfield i think was a really bright spot for Wisconsin um, you know, he led the team. I think he led the conference in either goals or scoring overall, uh, and was just in the games that I saw of them, uh, someone who I kind of felt like was a difference maker every time he was on the ice. Um, you know, like any young player, I feel like he, you know, still is looking for that next level in terms of consistency, especially the defensive responsibility side of it. But, you know, he, I was up there for two games that they played against Arizona State and uh, Wisconsin happened to win both of those games. So it was very fun overall because they won. No one wants to see a team lose. That's kind of a bummer. Um, but he scored in those games and just, you know, he, he, one of the goals he scored was from like behind the goal line, essentially. Like you don't let someone score from there. And he, he did it uh, because he's just, you get the puck on his stick and he's going to score for you. So, um, you know, it, I, I'm going to be excited to see what happens with him when he does turn pro. Uh, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that he's returning. I had honestly kind of hoped that the Kings prospect, Alex Turcotte would have gone back to the, to the NCAA for his second year, but the Kings kind of made the opposite decision probably that the Canadians did of it's better to have him in their backyard uh, rather than kind of floundering on a, a mediocre team. Uh, and Turcott for, you know, the, everyone says that he had kind of a disappointing year, which he did, but he still played at almost a point per game pace. He just missed a lot of time because of injuries and illnesses and the whole team itself was just so inconsistent that they couldn't get any momentum going. But yeah, Caulfield's really exciting. I think that it'll be good for him to go back and kind of develop into a more well-rounded player, develop more into a leader on that team, which is going to need guys to step up like that. Uh, losing, they lost a pretty good crop of seniors. Um, Keandre Miller, who's a Rangers prospect, he just signed uh, with the Rangers to end his uh, college career as well. So I think that there's a big role that Caulfield can step into. Uh, that's not a height joke or anything. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that he, <laughs> I, I think that he can kind of take a big step on that team. And, you know, if, if he already led in scoring in his first year, um, 
I can only imagine what he can do with another year under his belt. So yeah, he's going to be really exciting to watch. Um, for the Kings, they had Alex Tricot, like I said, who uh, made the decision to go pro. And yeah, my feeling is just that the, that the Kings were like, we'd rather have you developing with us and with our team. And since the Kings and the Ontario Reign share the same training facility, like they have, they're going to have so much more control over him and his development uh, than they would, um, you know, having him half a country away in Wisconsin. They all, they also probably were like, we don't want that lady from Chicago coming up trying to talk to him again. Um, <laughs> so let's get him out of there. Um, but yeah, you, you guys have a very good, very good small goals boy. Uh, and he just seems like the happiest kid on earth too. Um, you know, watching him play, like, you know, he, he does not play like he is as short as he is and just seems to love every minute of it. So, uh, yeah, you got, you guys have a, a nice prospect on your hands once he decides to, to turn pro and head up to you. <laughs> I think. It's, I, I feel like it might be also just, um, the difference in where the respective prospect pools are because the Canadians kind of have a, now that Joel Bouchard's come in, they have a better development system in the AHL, but previously they did not. So there were a whole bunch of draft picks that didn't really pan out, but now like they have one of the deepest prospect pools. And so, even in Laval, he would have been probably fighting for a role. Like there's a whole crop of uh, AHLers that, or prospects, I should say, in the AHL that are expected to make the jump in the next year or two. And so I feel like maybe they want, uh, like with LA, because they're all kind of like like knocking on the door, like maybe they want him to develop as well with the people who are going to be the core of the team. In, in coming years. Whereas Cole Caulfield, I feel like he could just like, they can throw him in at whatever point only when he's ready. And so like, I, I feel like for him and, and it's weird that like, uh, sorry, I'm like losing my train of thought. <laughs> it's, it's for me, the weird thing was uh, how, how much people talked about how disappointing his world juniors run was. And it seemed to me to be fairly obvious to anybody who was paying attention that he wasn't being used properly. Um, and like, he's got a very specific kind of skill set, which is putting the puck in the net. And as you mentioned, like he does need to work on his defense and that kind of stuff as well. He needs to grow a little bit more into the player that we know he's going to be. But I feel like with someone like him, like it's just going to take like he's going to develop and then it's just going to take the right coach to put him into the right situation, whether he turns pro next year or not, or whether like they sign, let's say the Canadians are poised to make the playoffs or do make the playoffs. They sign him right out of school, you know, like they'll just like throw him on where he'll be able to score goals. Like, I feel like that's um like the collective sort of growth together uh, matters a lot less with the Canadians because like the prospect pool is so deep and it's like it, it, it's like we've got a few years of prospects like waiting in the wings, right? Like it's been it's been quite a few years of good drafting. A lot of the players have made the NHL. Some of them have been sent back to the AHL. But I'm expecting that in the last like five years, this team is going to look completely different. And even like even with Carey Price, like if Seattle picks him up in the expansion draft, like I'm expecting that in in as as little as three years, the Canadians are going to look like a completely different team than they do now. 
I'm imagining like the one, like what, like Shea Weber's like the last guy left on the team. Just like that, that the gift from community of the guy walking in with the pizza boxes and everything's on fire in the room. Like I, I feel like that would just be like Shea Weber someday, just like walking in and being like, or, or like I, the gift from like, I think it's like, Fresh Prince or whatever of him just walking in the room and the room's completely empty, uh, like when they're moving out or whatever. I just, I just imagine like Shea Weber being the only like holdout from this kind of current crop of Canadians just walking in someday being like, who are all of you kids? <laughs> Be like, where's Brendan Gallagher? <laughs> that, that might actually, I think right now Brendan Gallagher and Carrie Price are the longest tenured halves on this team. Like everybody else is newer oh, wow. than that. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, and I absolutely like if Carrie Price gets picked up, which this is what people are saying, but I think it's also because they just want his contract off the books. Uh, I, I do think that like he is the face of the franchise and until somebody else steps up to be the face of the franchise, like Carrie Price is going to remain it, you know? Uh, but if that happens, like people, people like, if you think about it, like the, the, Caden Primo is expected to be the next guy, right? Like the, the oh, next yeah. anointed. So he's not even on the NHL team right now. Um, you know, people like that, like there's, there's Nick Suzuki is probably right now the only young player that I expect to, to like still be around. Uh, like there's oh, going to be so, so many good. changes. Oh my God. He's such a joy he's to so watch. Good. I, I got to talk to him when he was still part of Vegas's organization, uh, because I cover the Chicago Wolves, which is still for now their AHL team. So he played a handful of games with them and he was just the nicest, politest, like most like shy, like sweet kid. Um, you know, I, I definitely had the feeling of like, have you ever talked to a lady reporter before? Um, you know, <laughs> but just like very nice and humble and, uh, kind of a, a real like breath of fresh air after covering, you know, a team the whole season long and getting this kid coming in and getting his feet wet in his very first pro games, uh, after his junior season ended. Uh, and he, he was real special to watch. And, you know, it, it's weird covering the wolves because I, I don't care at all what Vegas does. But you kind of start to get attached to some of these uh, minor league players because I see them all the time and talk to them all the time. And then, you know, then they trade them away. And I'm like, Vegas, no, like that was my son. Like you now he's gone. (laughs) And now he's our son. I, I was so glad to see. Yeah, I was so glad to see him like actually make it and people like recognize how great he was i was like i talked to him back when (laughs) and that's the thing like when he first made the team because he wasn't like you know like lighting the lamp all the time people were just like oh this isn't panning out but if you looked at what he was doing like right away from the beginning he did not play like a rookie he played like he has so much hockey intelligence it's so beautiful to just watch what he can do he rarely makes mistakes and it's I just, I love watching him so much. And this, like that trade, like turned out to be a massive steal. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he's like, he's so young. He's only going to get better the older that he gets and the more comfortable he gets playing in this league. Um, Yeah. He's just a delight, like such a nice kid. I like absolutely love it. And that's the thing. So like, if you think (laughs) about Nick Suzuki, in two two years and and Cole Caulfield playing on the line with him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean that's gonna be I, I I'm I'm going to want to watch Canadians games because they're gonna be so fun. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know if in two years the Kings are gonna be fun yet. I'm not sure. <laughs> 
you know what? Here's hoping because I like I I find that like it's such a weird time now because the Kings like they they were so good for so long after being so bad for so long. And then now it's kind of like a cycle. They're going to be bad for a few years and then they're just yeah, going to go right back up. So weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and then crash cycle. again, probably. <laughs> yeah. And and that's kind of how it works in today's NHL. Like, I feel like it's very rare that you stay like consistently threatening. I can't think of other than, I guess, like Pittsburgh. I don't know. Yeah. And I feel like they, I feel like they have some sort of like, wizardry like there's no reason that like bob fitzsimmons that no one's heard of like there's always some kid that no one's heard of who suddenly has 60 points because they stuck him next to Sidney crosby and then Sidney crosby gets hurt and the kids still put like i don't know how they do it it makes no sense like but yeah i feel like they're kind of one of the only teams that's been consistently at least good um, through the years at just they had to have struck some sort of like awful bargain somewhere along the line. Yeah. Oh yeah. They definitely sold their souls somewhere. And I want to say like the caps have also been consistently good, but because of all the playoff disappointments, we don't like talk about them as much like, because they were always like for the last, I want to say since 2008, maybe they were always like an elite team. I would consider them an elite team. And then they would go to the playoffs and just like they totally crap the bed, and so I feel like it's it's a shame that they're not talked about sort of in the same way as 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 Pittsburgh. I feel like I don't know. I I would say that their success feels more organic than the Pittsburgh one because Pittsburgh is definitely <laughs> they've got some secrets somewhere. They've got some secret deal with yes. I don't know the devil. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway. I feel like we have talked so much fun stuff about our two teams and it's really sad that our episode is coming to an end, but I hope that Sarah, you'll be back with us doing, you know what we should do actually, I'm sure people will love this. Maybe you might not, but I'm going to go back <laughs> and do some research um, about the 1993 Stanley Uh-oh. Cup finals and then we could talk about oh. them. <laughs> I did not yes, witness that yes, in person, definitely. so I know I know you're a later fan to the King. So like, I also am <laughs> gonna have to go back and like, you know, learn about it and, and yes. try and find the games and watch them. Yeah. So maybe we'll, we'll do that. We'll do some research. Back, back, yeah. Back, back at that point in time in my in my life, I grew up in Pittsburgh. So I, if you ask me about the Penguins from that period of time, I can tell you. But uh, <laughs> I will. <laughs> we'll do some research. We'll do we'll do some like uh, history digging for this one. Yes, absolutely. So I hope you guys will tune in for that. And maybe the league will come back at some point in the next few months. We don't know. But in the meantime, uh, I guess, Sarah, you, where can people find you on the interwebs? Sure. So they can find me at right said Sarah. That's W-R-R- W-R-I-T-E said Sarah with an H. And then you can find the show at Locked on LA Kings on Twitter and, of course, anywhere podcasts are found. And on Mondays. Oh, yeah, that's right. I do that other thing, too. Uh, on on Mondays, I host the national show edition of Locked on NHL, uh, which 
uh, is kind of the, the, the concept is three big stories from across the league. But as we have no league right now, um, I am probably going to be spending some of this time looking at kind of uh, awards favorites. So talking to people like, uh, Justin Morissette from Locked on Canucks about, uh, Quinn Hughes and, you know, guys who might win the Calder or the Vezina or whatever. So I think that is going to be my plan, uh, coming up over the next couple of weeks. I also co-host Wednesdays on Locked on NHL with Justin Morissette. We talk about the Western Conference. I don't know what we're going to be talking about now that there is no Western Conference, but uh, <laughs> tune in Wednesdays and find out. <laughs> Can I come on the Wednesday show? Oh, sorry, the Monday show, the Monday show and rant for an entire <laughs> segment about how Philippe Deno gets no love for Selkie. Yes, because I love him. I, okay. I, 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 living in Chicago, I was, I follow the Blackhawks. I used to write about the Blackhawks and I was very disgruntled when they traded him because he is so good and so underappreciated. So yes, when I do my Selkie episode, uh, I'm just going to bring you on. Yay. All right. It's a date. So when it comes to our show, we are at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter. You can follow me at the active stick. Scott Matla will be back on tomorrow's episode, and we are probably going to be talking about Doug Harvey, so please tune into that. You can find him on Twitter at Scott Matla. Uh, you can also email us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. We want to hear your stories, opinions, whatever, and please specify if it's okay to read it on the show. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. And that wraps up. This episode of Locked On Canadians. <laughs> now tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On NHL.